Today, I want to pause our series in John, and I want to spend a few weeks to focus on Christmas. So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about Christmas. And I know some of you may be thinking, oh, great, another Christmas series. He's going to try to be cute. He's going to try to be, you know, funny and all these things. I have to try really hard to be cute. And it's also, and I'm funny on accident. So like, I don't even plan on being funny because that ain't funny. See, just told you. But I want to, I want to take a, the next three weeks and I want to talk about Christmas and this series is intended to help us understand what Christmas really is. How many of you know Christmas can be a very confusing time for some people? It can be a very, actually for some people, I don't know if you realize this, this can be like the darkest season of their year, the holidays or the Christmas season, because all the things that they don't have, they tend to focus on, and then it just, the, their whole life just gets darker around this time. But the Christmas celebration, the Christmas holiday is, is it's, it's just kind of all over the place. I'm, I'm a guy of order. I'm a guy that likes things in the right way. When I cut the grass at my house, I cut all the way to the edges and then I edge it because it's not finished until it's edged. Can't anybody else like things done in order? And, and so Christmas to me is like, it's a celebration, but it's got like I don't know how many different meanings to the celebration. And so people come into the Christmas season thinking it's about Santa Claus or about trees or about gifts or about whatever else, lights and wreaths and all these different things, and they totally miss what Christmas is really about. So I did a little bit of historical research, and uh, Christmas was not always Christmas. The celebration was not always called Christmas. Actually, the way Christmas came about was there was a winter holiday called Saturnalia. Saturnalia, this is years and years ago. It was called Saturnalia, and it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it would happen at the darkest or, or the peak of winter, basically the winter solstice, when the days were the longest and the nights were the darkest. So, when, so think about this. This is pre-electricity, by the way, just because some of us don't know what it's like to even think about not having electricity and what your house would be like, what it would be like in this room with no electricity. But no electricity, it was dark. The days were long, but the days were dark. The darkness was long. And so people would celebrate this holiday called Saturnalia. And what they would do is, is they would, it would be a festival just like any other festival. They would celebrate, they would drink, they would cut up. And, and it was even compared to Mardi Gras in one article I read Compared to Mardi Gras, so think about that. Like, and, and a couple of other things they would do is they would put a tree in their house in the living room, and they would set up a tree, and they would hang candles from it to give light because the days were so dark and long, and also to give warmth to the house. But they did this for a purpose. It wasn't because it was a tree that they would put presents under, they put a tree in the house and they put candles on it so they could, they could hopefully appease the spirits, little s, spirits, and the days would get longer and brighter and the winter would get shorter. So they would put a tree, <laughs> you're like, Pastor, where are you going with this? Because Christmas ain't sounding too good. 
they would put a tree in their house and hang candles from it so that hopefully the spirits of winter would change their mind and make the winter shorter and the daylight longer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it got a little bit out of hand. And the church at that time came in and says, man, we got to do something about it, which the church should have a burning desire to do something about the ugliness in society or the, the, the rampant things of society. The church should be an answer to that. And so the church came along and they said, well, let's, let's create a holiday at the same time and let's, let's, let's replace this, these spirits with Jesus and let's celebrate Jesus' birth during this time so that hopefully we can change people's attitudes about this season and there won't, it won't be so rampant. That's how Christmas came to be. They called it Christ Mass. So the church decided to take the Saturnalia holiday and call it Christ Mass and use it to celebrate Jesus' birth. To hopefully change the society, to change the community. It sounds good. Would you agree? That the church would Christianize a pagan holiday. But it failed to accomplish all that it was supposed to accomplish. Because when the church tried to Christianize a pagan holiday, the church then compromised in its morals and its beliefs. And so what we're left with today is a weird combination of Christmas is about Jesus, Christmas is about Santa Claus, Christmas is about presents and trees. Creepy. Christmas is about all these different things. That's what we're left with. So watch this. Anytime the church tries to Christianize a pagan thing, it never accomplishes what it was meant to accomplish. That's why you can't Christianize Halloween. And oh, by the way, Easter was the same way. We'll get to that when Easter comes. So the church decided to create a holiday or a celebration called Christ Mass. And it was to celebrate Jesus' birth. Now, here's what's interesting is Jesus wouldn't have been born during that time. No, but nobody actually has his birth date. It's believed he would have been born between September and November because the shepherds were out in the fields with their flocks at night. And when the winter set in and the winter got really cold, dark, and hard, it would, they would bring them in and they would keep them pinned up because the winter was just too harsh. So it wouldn't have been at the solstice of winter. It would have been somewhere between estimated around September or November. Interesting, huh? Anybody know that before I said it? Oh, come on. I love people that do their homework. So, so then you can almost be left with a dilemma. Like, so do I even celebrate Christmas or do I not? Because the church tried to Christianize a pagan holiday. And it's not even really Jesus' birthday. And if you're financially crunched right now, you might take that option. <laughs> you might say, well, you know what? This is my way to bail out on Christmas. I'm going to study that thing, and I'm going to tell everybody why I didn't buy them a present. Well, that would be a little gangster. So what do we do? 
You want to hear what I think we should do? I think we should celebrate Jesus' birth. And I think we should literally redeem the holiday. We should redeem it for Christ and not for anything else. Amen? And so what I hope to do over the next couple of weeks is to tell you or to help you understand why we celebrate Christmas instead of trying to teach you why we don't celebrate the pagan part of Christmas. So I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to focus on telling you what's wrong with Christmas. I'm going to focus on telling you what's right about Christmas. And so hopefully you get engaged in what's right about Christmas and then your heart and your mind changes about Christmas and then Christmas becomes a whole different experience for you and your family. Is that all right? <laughs> I already wrote it, so I was going to do it anyway. So the first reason we celebrate Christmas is simple but it's very complex. We, cele we celebrate Christmas because a Savior was born to us. Title of today's message, Born to Us. A Savior was born to us. I'm going to spend our time in Matthew this morning, starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's two main characters in the story. There's Mary and there's Joseph. Mary's a virgin and Joseph, we'll get a description of him in a minute. But there's Mary and there's Joseph. One important note, thing to note about Joseph is that Joseph was from the line of David. Remember King David? Joseph was from the lineage of David. In fact, the first 17 verses of chapter 1 is, is basically a, a, a family tree, if you want to call it that. It's three consecutive 14-generation sections that prove from Abraham all the way to Joseph, that Joseph was from the line of David. It's important that Joseph be from the line of David because the Messiah for the Jews was going to come through the line of David. So Joseph actually took care of the legal part of Jesus being the Messiah. So Matthew is showing us the legal lineage of Jesus but in no way is Matthew stating that Joseph was Jesus' biological father. So we have a virgin and we have a great man with the right lineage. In those days when you were engaged, it was usually set up by the parents. Some of you students would appreciate this. You would appreciate the fact that it's been changed. <laughs> But trust me, deep down inside, your parents want to set up your engagement. Come on, parents. But the way folks would get married in those days is they would, their parents would set them up and they would set up this, this engagement part and they would get to know each other a little bit. But it, it, immediately they would move into the next step. There's, there was three steps, engagement, betrothal, and then... Um, and then marriage. So those three steps would happen before somebody was fully, completely married. So you were engaged for a short period of time. Then you were legally betrothed to this person. 
So it was a legal binding action before you were even married. It's, it's a good bit different than what we understand. So they would be betrothed legally in public, and that betrothal would last for one year. But for one year, they would not consummate the marriage. I'll let you figure that later on. Side note, I did give you some things about the sex talk and all that a few months ago. So. <clears throat> you just really made that awkward, Pastor. That was the purpose. So they were betrothed for about the period of a year, and then they had a marriage ceremony, and then they would go and consummate the marriage. It's believed that, that Mary and Joseph were in this one-year betrothal period when all of this happened. And that's important. You'll see it in a minute. Because during this time, they could not necessarily be intimate with one another. They couldn't um, cross certain boundaries with one another. There were rules. There were stipulations. But Mary comes up pregnant. Mary comes up pregnant, but she was pure, and Joseph was pure. I want you to notice that the scriptures tell us that Mary became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit's doing, not Joseph. So I don't want you to misunderstand that. And the reason I'm taking time to explain this the way I'm taking time to explain it is because it has everything to do with the point of the message today about how and why Jesus was born to us as a Savior. And the process it took to get us here and to get Jesus here. Verse 19 and 20 says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. How many of you would like to have your name in the Bible? Raise your hand. How many of you would like the Bible to say something good about you? Keep your hand up. That was Joseph. His name was in the Bible, but it said something good about him. Come on. He was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. That's just a mess up in translation. That's actually the betrothal part. He, he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. As he was deciding what to do, even in the last minutes, God's always on time. Come on, somebody. But I want you to notice that, that Joseph is described as a righteous man, and we need to understand what that means. What does it mean to be a righteous person? It means this, that his, his, the, the woman he was getting ready to commit to spend the rest of his life with, that they've already taken legal formalities together. They're in a, a one-year kind of holding pattern to build and develop their relationship without being intimate. She comes up pregnant, and that's an uh-oh moment. Now he's got to do something about it because he knows it wasn't him, but he doesn't know who it was. But he was righteous because he could have drug her through the mud. But instead, he considered how he might do it quietly as to not bring any more, any more embarrassment or shame on her. That, my friends, is called righteousness. Just because you can drop the hammer on somebody doesn't mean that you should. Be righteous instead. 
Come on, somebody. That's called being grown around here, right? You need to act grown. He didn't want to bring extra shame on her. He didn't want to make anything more difficult for her than it already was, even though he had the right to. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, when we have to do a severe thing, let us choose the tenderest manner. Maybe we shall not have to do it at all. Wow. Isn't that something? He was willing to do it as quietly as possible, but I'm sure his feelings were hurt. I'm sure he was upset. Just because you're righteous doesn't mean you don't feel anything. It's what you decide to do with those feelings that make you righteous or not. So as he considered this, the angel appeared to him in a dream. And I find a lot of things really interesting about that. One of the things I find interesting about that is that in all of this, God knew he would have to address Joseph at some point. Okay, so, so you need to understand something. God knows the heart of man. He knows the heart of every man. He knows what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. God knows the heart of man. So in all of this, God knew that when this starts to happen, when the angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to be pregnant, you're going to give birth to a son, and all this, and then her little belly starts to swell, and her life starts to change, and she, and she can't deny it, she can't hide it anymore, Joseph was going to find out, and when Joseph found out, he was going to react a certain way. Right? So God knew that. So he already set an angel to go at just the right time. You got to see, you got to see that God's always working. He's always moving. He's moving on your behalf when you're not even thinking about him or even before you get offended. God knew he would have to address Joseph at some point. So the father always knows what's coming next, and he's always ready for it. The father's plans are always perfect. Think about who God chose. He chose Mary and Joseph. They didn't apply for this, right? They didn't apply for it. And submit an application in hopes that they could be the parents of the Savior of the world. God chose them. They weren't even looking for it, but God chose them. And if you look at the technicalities of it all, God chose Joseph, who was from the line of David, so that he could appease the Jews and he could keep to his word in the Old Testament. And then he chooses Mary, who was pure and she was a virgin, and they were already betrothed together, and God had to know that Joseph somehow, some way would have done the right thing. Like Joseph couldn't have been an unstable guy emotionally and God would have chosen him to do this because the minute he would have found out, he would have flipped his top and he would have went crazy. God's not going to choose a person like that. Oh, come on, somebody. God's going to choose somebody that he knows is stable, mature, and can handle bad information.
He chose a couple that would say yes. Mary had to say yes. Joseph had to be okay even after he talked to the angel. You know what couples God's using today? Those that will say yes. He's still looking for folks to say yes. So the angel steps in and straightens things out for Joseph. We can turn the air condition off now. It's feeling a little bit too much like Christmas. About to light a tree up. <laughs> the angel steps in at just the right time and he straightens some things out for Joseph. Isn't that interesting? Like Joseph, we don't, we don't give him enough attention. Like this brother just got some bad news. Right? Like his girl. Verse 21. The angel continues. He says, And she will give, she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The angel tells Joseph some very specific things. She will have a son, not a daughter. She will have a son, and you will name him Jesus. In fact, he didn't say you will name him Jesus. He said his name is Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't a suggestion. <laughs> and he will save his people from their sins. So the angel gives some very specifics to Joseph. And you have, to, you have to ask the question, why was he so specific about his gender, about his name, and about his purpose? Ooh, ooh. Why was God so specific about his gender, his name, and his purpose? Because God had a purpose for him, right? He had plans for Jesus. He sent Jesus to us. Because we needed to be rescued. We needed to be saved. So he came with very specific instructions. Now you got to understand something. The angel, any angel, has to say what he hears. Nothing more, nothing less. Angels don't get the, the freedom or the liberty to ad lib or to add on or to hold back something they disagree with. They have to say what they heard God say. And so when this angel tells Joseph that she's going to have a son and his name is Jesus and he will, he will save his people from their sins, the angel was repeating what he heard the father say. So you could say this was God's plan all along. And the next verse proves it to you in verse 20, next two verses, 22 and 23. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is what his name means, and, and which means that God is with us. In other words, he's going to come and he's going to save us. That was prophesied by Isaiah all the way back in the Old Testament. So God knew it then, 
God didn't forget and he repeated it to the angel and the angel repeated it to Joseph so that Joseph wouldn't go along with the divorce. So God's plan, oh, you got to get this today. God tells Isaiah all of this. Fast forward to Mary and Joseph. God says it again. I want you to rewind all the way back to the garden. In the cool of the day when God would come and walk with Adam and Eve. Listen to me. I got a point I'm trying to make. God has always wanted to be with us. He's never changed his mind about that. He's never, he's never gotten mad and said, you know what? Forget about him. He's never said that. He always wants to be with us. So I don't know how long some of you are going to continue to struggle to believe that. But listen to me. You're going to have to believe that God wants to be with you because it's killing your whole well-being. I don't know how long you're going to struggle with it, but you're going to have to come to grips with it one day. And the sooner the better, because when you got to, you get to a place where you got to understand that God wants to be with me, even in my deepest, darkest hours. He wants to be with me. The days of believing God doesn't love me are over. They're over in the name of Jesus. Too many of you are still wondering if God loves you. He made up his mind when he sent his son. This is him making up his mind. He didn't take Jesus back because he was mad. He took Jesus back because he was done. So you need to hear the truth right now. And for some of you, look at me. Some of you, you're going to have to press into this. You've been living too long with a bipolar understanding of God's love. One minute he loves me, the next minute he don't. One minute he cares about me, the next minute he don't. Every time something bad happens, God don't love me. That's not truth. He loves you with a flat tire. He loves you even after you say something stupid. Thank God. So the angel said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. I mean, the prophet said the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and his name will, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. God is with us. So we celebrate Christmas because it is the moment that God came to be with us. And I promise you this, the enemy of your soul is doing everything he can to distract you of that. How many boxes can you bring into the house? Come on, somebody. How many things can you order on Amazon that push Jesus to the corner? The enemy will try to distract you and even convince you otherwise. 
You want to know one of the most common ways the enemy will try to convince you that God doesn't love you and he doesn't want to be with you? By the important people you've had bad experiences with in your life. God can take your ashes and create beauty, right? But the enemy can take your ashes and create a grave. So he's going to take those hard words your daddy said to you, those things your mama didn't do for you, or those maybe something that somebody did to you physically or emotionally or verbally or mentally. He's going to take those things and he's going to use them to convince you that God doesn't love you and he does not want to be with you. It is a lie. It will always be a lie. And it's good to understand where your wounds come from. Let me speak to this real quick. It's good to understand where your wounds come from. It's good to understand you got a daddy wound or you got a mama wound or, or maybe you got a cousin wound or whatever it might be. It's good to understand that. It's good to unpack that. It's good to pray over that and ask Jesus to heal that. But it's not good to be the story for the rest of your life. Because you get to make a choice one day to follow Jesus and to come into a relationship with the perfect father who will not do what those people did to you. So you get to choose. So let me give you 10 benefits worth celebrating Christmas, if you're taking notes, benefits worth celebrating. Number one, he initiated the relationship. You didn't. Man didn't create God. Man didn't come up with this illusion of God. They didn't come up with a fairy tale of God. God decided to step down into what he already created and make himself known to them. God initiated the relationship. There ain't a single person in this room or on the globe that went looking for God one day and found him. God, by his spirit, drew men and women to himself. I wish I could tell you I found God. I didn't find God. He found me. My eyes were just open. That's all it was. So he initiates the relationship. That's a big deal. He started the relationship. If somebody's going to want to be your friend and they initiate the relationship, that means that they've already considered what a relationship with you is going to be like and they've made their mind up to be in that relationship. That's what would lead you to initiate the relationship. The first time I saw Cheryl in college, something clicked inside of me that said, I want to be in a relationship with her. And I pondered it, not long, <laughs> but I pondered it for a minute. And I said, oh, yeah, this is worth it. And so I initiated a relationship with her. I made my mind up before time. Number two, we can come to him without question or hesitation. You know, when I saw that vision this morning of, Jesus knocking on the door, I saw someone standing on the other side and they were, they were standing there and, and the impression I got was that they were just overwhelmed with shame and guilt and, and just, just exhaustion and, and, and they, they peeped and they saw it was Jesus knocking and they just kind of went, 
<sighs> What's he going to say? What's he going to point out? How bad is it going to hurt? Listen to me. I struggled with this this week. I, I think it was yesterday. I had a moment, just some things hadn't gone the way they were supposed to go, and I kind of got a little down in the dumps about it, and I was kind of like, honestly, I, I tried to hide it, but I was just moping. I was like, Phew. finally I looked at Cheryl and said, I'm going, I'm going to see the cows. So I walked out to the pasture, and I looked, checked all the cows, pet the donkey, found me a tree, and I sat next to the tree, and I just sat. And just went, and I had a hard time talking to Jesus. It's real. You know it's real, right? But he initiated the relationship so you can come back into it. You can open the door without hesitation or without question. And this is what I've learned. When I don't feel like it, I just got to do what Nike said. I got to do it, right? Just do it. Yeah, that's what it was. I it came and then it went a little too fast. Nikes are fast, right? So, so you, sometimes you just got to do it. Now I've got a prayer language, so I'll start praying in tongues and I'll stir up some things in my spirit. And praying in tongues will get my flesh to shut up long enough for the spirit to connect with Jesus. <laughs> it's just another benefit on the side note for another message at another time. So we can come to him without question or hesitation. Number three, he gave us his son and his spirit. Check this out. When you give your life to Jesus or you accept him or you're born again, you now come into a relationship with Jesus where you get to receive Jesus. And because you receive and accept everything that he's done for you, your sins are washed away. So there's no more barriers between you and God. And where you were once an enemy, now you're a friend. That's pretty cool, right? Well, it's even better. When you're born again, he gives his spirit to come and live inside of you. God's spirit is living inside of you. And you get to be in a relationship. He gave us his son and his spirit. Watch this, number four. Jesus intercedes for us. Some of you think no one cares. That's a lie. Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's talking to the Father about you. You got a full-time intercessor. Then the Holy Spirit, number five, helps us to pray. Can I be honest? There's days I just wanted to pray for God to take some people out. <laughs> Lord, take them out. And the Holy Spirit said, I ain't helping you with that. Number six, he's always available and approachable. Hear those words. He is always available and approachable. He is always available and approachable. Always being the key word, available and approachable. He's never told me no. I've never opened up the door and there wasn't anybody on the other side. Number seven, he sees us as sons and daughters. Not as couillons. <laughs> Come on. 
He sees us as sons and daughters. Number eight, he's jealous for us. He's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. Number nine, he leads us into green pastures. Since I was able to speak at Mr. Bob's memorial service, Psalms 23 was his favorite portion of scripture. And I've, I've just, it's always just, it's been ringing in my ears ever since. Because it says that he leads us into green pastures and beside still waters. So if you're not in green pastures right now, it might be because you're out the pasture. You done wandered off and you're in a thicket of, of, of briar somewhere. And it ain't, it ain't Jesus' fault. It's because you are wandering sheep. Then number 10, his rod and his staff. Watch this. His rod and his staff that the enemies convinced you God's going to abuse you with? It protects me and it comforts me. You ever walked up on a beat dog? And if you walk up a little too aggressive, it cowers. Some of us don't approach God because we're afraid that his rod and his staff are going to beat me. Yet it's there to bring comfort and protection. So there's no other God like my God. My God deserves all of me. He deserves all my praise, and he deserves all my worship. Anything less than all is not enough. So let me encourage you with this. There's enough time to recalibrate yourself and your plans for Christmas. You can refocus yourself and your family in order to celebrate Christmas the Christian way and not the pagan way. I don't have an issue with your Christmas tree. I don't have an issue with presents. I like to get presents. It don't matter what time of the year. I wish Christmas was every day. Come on, somebody. Like somebody had a present or a gift for me every day. That would be awesome. I don't have an issue with those things. My concern is your heart and your focus. Is it all to Jesus or is it all not? Is he getting 50% of your Christmas celebration or is he getting the whole thing? One more thing. It's not in your notes, so you're going to have to write this. This came last night. Lord told me to tell you very practically how to celebrate Christmas. So get ready to write how to celebrate Christmas. Number one. Hold on to joy at all costs. Hold on to joy at all costs. In other words, if you feel in a moment that joy has left the environment, you need to stop, collaborate, and listen. That rolled out really smooth. I ain't going to lie to you. I didn't even practice that one. Come on, those of you that are laughing are about the same age that I am. Some of you that are clueless, you're either way too young. But you need, you need to seriously stop and consider what happened to joy. 
Like you don't have to journey into the land of no joy and frustration and irritation and all these other things. You can stay in the land of joy. You just have to sense when it leaves and then reconsider why did it leave? So sometimes it leaves because we overschedule ourselves. We're running late. That devil gets me every stinking time. I'm not going to lie to you. When we're running late, oh my goodness, I'm like a tea kettle. And the, and the pressure starts building. And by the time we start to get to the car, it's like, woo! Joy's left the building. <laughs> Maybe you're overcommitted. We were intentional this year as a staff not to overcommit ourselves to a Christmas celebration. Because sometimes you can commit yourself to so much that joy leaves the building. And then next year, you get anxiety when Christmas rolls around. Oh, man, Christmas is coming. Hard to celebrate Jesus when you're... <laughs> Number two, make peace with anyone in question. Make peace. Make peace with who? Anyone in question. If you think so-and-so's mad at you, go and clear the air. You know how I would do it? I would catch them by themselves and say, hey, you been okay? And if they were still standoffish and cold, I would say, hey, listen, are we okay? Are we okay? And if they'd say no, I'd say, well, can you help me understand why we're not Okay. Because if you're waiting on them to change and you're waiting on them to come with you to you with their offense, they're probably not. People just like to stay offended. So if you sense something's off, go and address it nicely, calmly. Make peace. Sometimes the road to forgiveness starts with, I'm sorry, you're hurt, and I love you. Remember, the Bible tells us to make allowance for each other's faults. <laughs> Number three, create space to reflect on God with us. I mean, literally. If the, if the Christmas celebration is going to be about Jesus' birth, then should we not take time to reflect on his goodness in our life? Should we not take extra time to spend considering all that he's been to us? So create space to reflect on God with us. You may have to adjust your schedule if you need to. You may have to start the day a little earlier to spend time with him. And I want you to remember, if you seek him, you will find him. He's better at knocking than we are at opening. Number four, go above and beyond to love and serve others. So you're going to need to do something out of the blue. 
out of character. <laughs> Give them something to talk about, but good. <laughs> so go above and beyond to love and serve. Maybe you need to, at the celebration, pick up the dishes. Maybe after you just hog down all your food, you can stand up and go and see if somebody's done and then offer to take their plate. Or if they need some more drink, offer to give them some more drink. Maybe you can do something out of character instead of sitting there bloated and burping. <laughs> Come on, waiting on other people to serve you. Take out the trash. Offer to pray. Tell someone they look great. And so-and-so, your purple hair is amazing this year. Engage in a good conversation by asking the other person about themselves and then listening and not turning the conversation to you. That makes people feel valued. When you just sit and listen to them, engaged. Say, I love you, and show it to back it up. Go love and serve somebody. It's another way to celebrate Christmas. And then number five, spend extra time in prayer, thanksgiving, and worship. Very important. They're all three different. Prayer, thanksgiving, and worship. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that when anxiety wants to come on you, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. And instead of being anxious, tell God what you need. But then it gives you a secret ingredient. And thank him for all that he's done. You want to change your mood? Watch this. This is a freebie. Like, this is golden stuff right here. You want to change your mood? Stop waiting on other people to act different. Start thanking God for his goodness in your life. And it'll change your attitude and it'll change your mood. Good preaching, Pastor Jamie. Good preaching. So my mood is not based on somebody else. Well, if you wouldn't do this, I wouldn't be mad all the time. So spend extra time in prayer, thanksgiving, and worship. Break your routine. Go longer. Try a different place. Try a different pace. Intentionally tell God everything that you're thankful for. And then worship him by telling him how good he is and how much you love him. Practicals. Right? I could have let you walk out with a deep spiritual nugget that you had to go home and figure out. But the Lord said to tell you how. It doesn't have to start big. Many times it starts small. So hold on to joy at all costs. Make peace with anyone in question. Create space to reflect on God with us. Go above and beyond to love and serve. And spend extra time in prayer, thanksgiving, and worship. I promise you this. If you will do those five over the next three weeks, you will have the best Christmas you've ever had. And Jesus will be celebrated and worshiped in your home and in the environment that you're in more than any year before. Come on, worship team. 
So I, I want to encourage you with this at the end. I want you to have a blast. I believe this is the time of the year where we should have fun. Like it should be fun. <laughs> it should be awesome. You should have a blast. You should be posting hashtag best Christmas ever. Go have a blast. It's just hard to have a blast when you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Let me pray for you. Sometimes we start, in fact, I'll tell you, most of the time we need to start with some self-awareness and reflection and ask Jesus to examine our hearts. It's, it's that inviting part. It's inviting him in to examine your heart. David did that quite often. The great warrior, King David, would invite Jesus to come and examine his heart. And I think we need to take this message in this series extremely serious. Here's the thing I want you to hear this morning is when you refocus yourself and prioritize the meaning of Christmas in your own heart, it changes those around you. It's called the power of influence. And you have more power to influence your environment than you believe. But all you need to do is get your own heart right first. So it would look something like this if I've overscheduled myself and overcommitted myself and I've financed too many Christmas presents and I'm stressed out and I'm worried about January and February and I'm worried about my weight and I'm worried about my pocketbook and like there's no even thinking about Jesus. If that's you, it's not too late to change your own heart. Cheryl and I would sit down with the kids on Christmas morning and before we ever opened up a present and pulled anything from underneath the tree we would read the Christmas story I'm so glad we did that I'm glad we still get to do that so if that's you this morning and you just feel like honestly my heart's been all over the map my mind's been in a thousand different places. My emotions are running rampant. Invite Jesus in right now. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? The peace that comes with your presence hasn't been present lately. Joy has been nowhere to be found in overdone it. I've gone too far, overcommitted. 
and gotten overwhelmed about the wrong things and not kept the main thing the main thing. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for commercializing your celebration. I'm sorry for paganizing this moment. Would you forgive me? Would you help me to get out of this? Would you help me to somehow or another salvage the celebration? Would you help me to... Lord, I'm sorry. I, I, I made it about the wrong things. In my heart, Jesus, I realize the benefits of God with us, of you being born to us. They far outweigh everything else. And I celebrate that today. Lord, once again, I give you my life. I give you my praise. I give you my worship. I give you my time. I give you my best. I give you my first. God, would you change something in my heart? Would you shift something in my heart that would change my mind and cause me to live in a different way with a different understanding? Would you transform me by changing the way I think, Lord? Would you help me, Lord? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? And would you grace me in this season? I give you my heart. That's how I would pray. I give you my heart, Lord. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time, this opportunity today. Thank you for this word. Thank you for all that you did to send your son to be with us. Thank you that you want to be with us, that you love us. You still long to walk in the cool of the garden with us, Lord. You still long to be in relationship with us. You still love us deeply, deeply, deeply. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, would you move in our hearts and would joy come back into the building and would peace come and resonate in our hearts and would this be the best Christmas so far because you're with me now. We moved the boxes out the way. We've cleared out the clutter and we've said, Lord, you're the main focus. We give you praise and we give you honor and worship today, Lord. Thank you.